Curious Conversations About Sex is brought to you by Curious Creatures, who run a variety of workshops on self-development and sexuality in Australia. My name is Rog. Today, I'm doing a reaction video to a Jordan Peterson interview, um, except without the video, so I guess I'm just having a reaction, really. Um, in the original interview, which I will provide a link to in the show notes, uh, Jordan is speaking about sex and consent and sex outside of marriage. Um, and also on top of that, I want to add another couple of thoughts on things Jordan uh, at the end. Uh, heads up, this is mostly me uh, disagreeing with Jordan, um, but not entirely. Uh, he raises some good points, uh, and honestly, uh, it'd be interesting to get his take on a few things without the intensity of the polarised social media landscape he exists in, sort of getting in the way. Like, so much of what he says is a polarised response to a polarised attack, you know, to something polarising that he said, which is in response to something polarising that someone else said and blah, blah, blah. And it can be hard to actually get a sense of uh, a person with all of that noise and clutter uh, in the background or sometimes foreground. Uh, at a guess, I actually think his heart and intentions are probably in the right place. But yeah, sure, I disagree pretty strongly with most of his beliefs. Let's get into it. We're coming in on Jordan's answer to a question which doesn't seem super relevant to me. So let's just get straight into Jordan's answer. It's also reflective of a, of a technical problem, I would say. Um, we've had relatively reliable birth control since 1960. Woohoo! Okay, that's not very long. And we underestimate the unbelievable technological triumph of birth control. It's, it's the hydrogen bomb. Mm, okay, sounds like we might be going in a slightly different direction with this than I was thinking, but, like, let's see. It's the transistor. Like, it's a major league transformation in human interaction. Women are now free from involuntary rep reproduction. That's never been the case in the entire history of the planet. Okay, we don't know exactly what to do about that. Okay, so the first idea in the 60s was, hell, <laughs> let's party. And, you know, you can see why. It's like what the rules for not engaging in um, promiscuous sexual intercourse seemed to have vanished. Yeah, I guess I would say it's not like there was no promiscuous sex before the 60s. Uh, I think there's evidence of that in all cultures, I think, uh, across all times, that um, different forms of uh, interaction have occurred, other than that sanctioned by, uh, I think we're talking about the church's model in this case, but let's see where it goes. Um, and there's an interesting question there, uh, you know, good thing, bad thing, that's definitely a matter of opinion. Uh, I would also say I noted the use of the uh, word promiscuous and the way that was used. It's not technically a swear word. It just didn't sound like the most sex positive affirming way of describing the lifestyle choices that some of us have opted for. Uh, but let's see where it goes. Maybe this is about to become very sex positive. So we had a couple of decades of experimentation. It's like, well, how'd that go? 
Oh, my wow, I'm so glad you asked. Um, I'd say, like, obviously, it's been a, been a bit of a journey in this last 70 years, and it's hard to sort of summarise it too much, but I'd say, um, by and large, pretty awesome. Like, I'd say our knowledge of our bodies and the various bits and pieces and what they can do, uh, I'd say that's in a... Uh, that's that's massively improved. I'd say our understanding of our pleasure and our ability to do pleasure, I'd say that is almost infinitely improved, but yeah, massively improved. Uh, I'd say our language and communication around sex is massively improved. Uh, and I would also just say um, the level of enjoyment uh, we have around sex and the expectations we have around that um, and yeah, maybe I'm talking mostly about uh, developed countries. Um, perhaps the global situation is a little bit more complicated, but by and large, I would say that the average person is having massively, substantially better sex um, than they were um, 80 years ago, if we're just doing averages. Um, so yeah, I'd say uh, pretty darn good. Um, what are your thoughts on the matter, Jordan? Little hard on the family, I would say. That's not so good for kids. Okay, gotta stop you right there. Uh, gotta, I know it's like a, uh, it's what anyone think about the kids. I know it's like such a theory out there that um, non-monogamy is, is bad for kids and that the only model that's good for kids is a uh, nuclear family kind of a model. God, that theory is so pervasive. Um... I guess, like, I can see where it comes from if you assume that that nuclear family model was perfect and that everything was working totally awesome and all that's happened is that we've picked it apart and replaced it with nothing and broken up families and kids don't have guidance. And I know that that's the mindset of perhaps a lot of people. Um, but I think you've got to go back in time a little bit further. We've all heard the phrase that it takes a village to raise a kid or something like that. And... Um, uh, if you've had anything to do with kids, you're like, oh my God, it's true. Um, historically, uh, that was the case. We had extended family, we had relatives, we had grandparents on hand, and we had much more of a communal, perhaps neighborly responsibility, and parenting was much more of a shared task, and kids were exposed to a much wider array of role models and helpers and carers and siblings and so forth. The radical experiment was not birth control. The radical experiment was stepping out of that community model and going into, by comparison, an extremely limited um, nuclear family model. Um, not only is it limited in terms of numbers and so forth, but for most people, particularly if we're talking about a heterosexual setup, which Jordan clearly is, and you know that's fine, um, then you're talking about a model where mum stays home and dad goes to work. And uh, I mean, that has been picked apart so thoroughly. The evidence is really coming out at the moment on the impact of that. Ah, oh, I mean, on a million levels, like let's just look at that from the perspective of equality. Um, if you want to be a woman and you want to be out in the world having access to the privileges that men have got, then you're going to need to get away from the family and the home and get out in the workplace. If you're a man and you want access to the privileges that women have traditionally had, then you're going to need to get into the home and be a part of family life and community life. So just on the equality level between the adults, that one has obviously been pretty thoroughly picked apart. 
But if you look at it from the perspective of the kids, um, having an absent father it has not been a good social experiment. We're seeing that it has some negative impacts on girls and has a huge number of negative impacts on boys and is in turn creating the next generation of uh, bad behaviour in men when those boys grow up. Um, yeah, so when you look at it from that perspective, the nuclear family was the radical experiment. Then, so if you look at what um, I'm going to interpret, what Jordan's describing as promiscuous sex, and I guess like the breakdown of that standard nuclear family model, um, if you look at how that can play out, uh, what I see, I think, around me in the poly world are sometimes models where people are actually moving back to the much more historical version of how to do a family. So where there are actually more role models and more figures involved. Um, it's not always the case. People make different decisions and go in different ways. And I would agree that this is a time of change and a time of flux. And there's something about that which is never easy and never comfortable. Uh, we're humans, we like things when they stay the same. Uh, but I think the uh, I think the jury is out there, or at least uh, it's a more complex question of um, uh, whether or not uh, birth control has been <laughs> good on families and therefore uh, good for kids. Uh, yeah, my main point here is just the assumption that the 1950s model of nuclear family was the perfect model, and any deviation from that. Um, is um, a, a step down, a step backwards. I uh, would very strongly dispute that. AIDS, that wasn't a plus. Could have killed us all. Oh, God, stop. Stop. It's just so uh, yowch. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's okay to talk about AIDS, HIV, let's see where this goes. I doubt it's going to be good, but let's see where it goes. It's okay to talk about. Um, but, oh, God, when it feels like it's being used as a um, like a political point and when it's done without any sense of like feeling or care and compassion towards the community that was devastated by that disease, uh, there's just something about that that's so painful. I just, conversationally, there just needs to be a softener in there or something like that. And if not, it comes across, it, it fits in with um, a homophobic uh, culture. And um, I don't know, I've listened to Jordan in the past and I know at least in theory, uh, Jordan is fine with um, non-heterosexual pairings or whatever his language for that is. And I actually believe that, but uh, not understanding how um, the analysis I suspect we're about to listen to on AIDS and HIV um, fits into that whole homophobic rhetoric. Um, yeah, uh, I think that deserves a mention somewhere in here. Anyway, let's get back to it. Actually, let's not get back to it just yet. Um, uh, I was just about to click play again, and I was just thinking about the two people I've known in my life that have died from HIV, uh, and I was only like right on the tail end um, of um, of that particular catastrophe, uh, and I, I just want to uh, 
shout out to you. If you or people around you have been impacted by HIV back in the day or now, um, then um, I feel you. And it mutated particularly to take advantage of promiscuous sex because viruses are very tricky things. So it turns out that sex is a little bit more complicated than we thought. Well, it actually turns out that it's a lot more complicated than we think. Okay, yeah. So the logic here is that um, HIV is evidence that there's something fundamentally wrong with what Jordan's calling promiscuous sex, let's just say, with sex. Um, it's an interesting point. If we take that logic and apply it to other situations, um, I got a cold the other week when I went to visit my family. It was just like a social thing. And colds are uh, crafty, nasty little viruses. They've um, adapted and evolved uh, to uh, make themselves more transmissible amongst humans. So could I conclude um, out of that uh, that there's a fundamental problem with me ever seeing my family? Uh, could we conclude from our experience with COVID that there's something fundamentally wrong with plane travel and all forms of travel? Uh, you can see where I'm going with this. It's just ridiculous ridiculous to uh, make those assumptions. Uh, I mean, one needs to be mindful, one needs to be informed, um, but evidence of injury or harm or disease or something like that does not necessarily make uh, the event or situation that was the cause of that wrong. Uh, Long-term listeners to the show know that I love, just as a kind of a a way to like flip concepts around in my mind. I like comparing and contrasting the way we talk about what happens in sex with sport and with uh, foodies, because they're two things. I, I, the thing, like, so with all three of those things, sexuality, food, and sport, they're all things that people get into in incredibly um, big ways. Uh, people take them on as like hobbies or professions or whatever else. And they are all things that are just taking advantage of the bodies that we happen to have. Like we're enhancing and playing with our senses, our skills, our hand-eye coordination. Um, there are sometimes individual activities, there's sometimes group activities. But obviously the difference between those things is that two of those things, sport and food, are very mainstream accept acceptable. And the third one, sex is not. So I like flipping them around a little bit. So it's like saying, well, um, people get injured a hell of a lot with uh, through sport. Um, so could we conclude that all sport is wrong? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, there's an argument there to be careful with your body and to be mindful. And I don't know, I'm not exactly a sports person, but do warm up exercises and be gentle and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and likewise with food, um, this is only relevant to those of you that have eaten food in your life, um, which I know is not everyone, but um, obviously, yeah, you need to be a little bit mindful about what you stick in your mouth, but geez, it doesn't mean that it's fundamentally wrong because I, I had 10 hamburgers in a row and put on some weight. Yeah, bad logic, bad logic. Okay, and now it's four, 50, 60 years later. And we're trying to sort this out. It's like, well, when is it okay to have sex? Exactly. And when is it not okay to have sex? And what does it mean that it's okay? And what does consent mean? 
I absolutely agree. Sex is complicated and they're all excellent questions we should be asking ourselves. Um, what's your answer on that one, Jordan? And the answer to that is, well, we never used to have to think these things through because the rule was don't have sex until you get married. <laughs> oh, yes. And how's that working out for you, champ? Um, sorry, let me pick that apart a little bit more. Um, the point I'm trying to make here is uh, that wasn't working out so well. What what that resulted in is a whole bunch of people getting into marriage and realizing they had absolutely no idea what to do and uh, no tools, no skills, no communication to talk about that with partners and the lack of the normalization of that. And yet sometimes there was this expectation and pressure to be having the sex. Uh, so that either kind of goes in one of two directions. One, frankly, is rape in marriage. The other one is basically just effectively abstaining from sex. Like both parties, uh, if both parties are respectful, they're not having great sex, but they don't have the tools or the normalization to talk about that stuff, then sex just disappears. And I uh, ask, um, you know, do a, do a random sampling of uh, people that were existing or that still exist in that modality, uh, ask them how much sex they're having. And um, it is not that much or it's not that great uh, for a very small percentage of people um, back in that model uh, they were able to work it out and live happily ever after in their sex life and yay good for them happy days but um yeah no i gotta say jordan it was a mess and watching people get into their first sexual situation with no experience no knowledge of their body no skills and tools it's a guaranteed path to mess and and those people are getting messed up ah. that was the rule now that isn't the rule okay so what's the rule well we're not having a conversation about the rule well some of us are having that conversation some of us are getting right into it and are making a lot of progress there um although i guess i concede the point that um uh, yeah by and large this is playing out in a kind of a um, a not superb way um, in the mainstream. Um, so, yeah, kind of with you and not with you on that one, but just wanted to wave a flag that um, some of us are doing a lot of work in that area. We're waiting till someone does something that seems like it might be untoward and then mobbing them and trying to extract the rule out that way. And it's not a very effective way of doing it. So... I really agree with this. Uh, I think that attempting to navigate this stuff uh, using uh, social media and ganging up and bullying, uh, that's on the broader outside level or the way I see this play out on more of a community level, uh, even within my own scene, is that uh, gossip and rumors. One person says something about someone else and everyone feels like they need to take sides. Uh, now, I don't think for a second that these things are easy to navigate. Situations like that often require from us skills and resources and time that very few people actually have. Um, but I actually really agree with Jordan on this point that um, um, in the absence of a way of working out and defining this stuff, um, sorting it out via social media is not exactly productive. It's extremely damaging in um, in other ways for all parties. Um, yeah, go back and listen to my podcast episodes on restorative justice uh, for a bit of a sense of um, 
what I think um, is a nod to the future of how this stuff could be playing out a little more. You know, you want to decrease campus rape? That's easy. Get rid of alcohol. No one has that conversation. It's like I did my PhD work on alcohol. 50% of the people who are murdered are drunk. And 50% of the people who kill them are drunk. And almost all the date rape situations are consequences of excess intoxication. Uh, so I think a few things here. Um, I, I kind of like what Jordan has just been saying there because particularly in, our, in the polarised world that we live in when it comes to gender and gender equality and gender politics in particular, there's a lot of people that would say that uh, Jordan is nothing but a misogynist. Um, and I like the f that... Uh, what he's talking about here, you can hear that one of his embedded values is that he is taking that stuff seriously and working on um, solutions to those problems, even if uh, he's perhaps taking a different track with those solutions to what some of us might take. Um, I, I kind of like that this shows that he's not misogynist, or at least he's not entirely misogynist. Um, uh, that said, um, I... Uh, really agree uh, well with with some massive qualifications i agree with the point he's making about alcohol from what i observe it is without a shred of doubt a factor in a lot of mess that goes down between people a lot of sexual misconduct mess that goes down between people um i know for myself the times so i think about this in terms of like safe words and how well was I reading a situation. Uh, generally speaking, you can read people's, I can read body people's body language reasonably well. And generally I've got a very accurate read and an accurate understanding of where someone is at with something I'm doing with them or to them sexually. Um, there's been about uh, like in the, in the 12 years that I've been or 14 years now that I've been an identified part of the kink scene I think there's been about five times where I have misread a situation uh, by which I mean someone has used a safe word like orange or red um, and it's caught me by surprise so I hadn't I hadn't accurately read that situation um, in the seconds prior um, yeah all five of those times for me uh, alcohol has been involved for sure and even though they're only really small little instalments, um, it still makes me feel kind of gross uh, and a little bit disgusting for having misread the situation. And like, it's okay, that's why we have safe words. Um, but yeah, that's just like me me weighing in personally to say um, alcohol is a confusing factor. Um, uh, again, I think uh, Jordan is not accurate when he says that no one is talking about that. Uh, those of us that are in the sexuality space, uh, so running events in particular, like the kink and BDSM communities, which um, would obviously be, from Jordan's perspective, evidence of the world gone wrong. Like that's, you know, heathenistic um, suffering and horror, I imagine, is the sort of language Jordan might use around it. Uh, interestingly, I note that uh, a lot of those spaces are low or no alcohol. Um, there's there's very much an awareness that alcohol uh, impacts, pardon the pun, 
on your ability, your technical skills and your ability to read a situation. So, yeah, I, uh, hilariously, it's not that no one's talking about that stuff, Jordan. It's just that um, at least some of the people that are talking about it are <laughs> pursuing sex in a very different way to um, what you would like. But that conversation is happening. Um, moving on a little bit, Jordan talks about date rape. Um, I'd say this is purely based on what I've observed. Uh, I would say the absence of safe words um, is a much stronger um, element of the confusion that happens between people. Um, if, um, if we're talking about sort of confused consent situations as opposed to a date that turns into a um, physical uh, violence rape situation, that's a little bit different. Safe words won't mean anything in that situation. If someone has already decided that they're taking what they want from you regardless of your opinion on the matter, uh, but in situations of confused consent, uh, I would say that um, the lack of safe words uh, is uh, a bigger issue. But even zooming out beyond that, I mean, I think we need to look at what's what's creating that rapey, takey culture in the background. And that's obviously a much bigger issue than we've got time for here. Um, that's a bit of a 200-year project, that one. Um, but yeah, like let's let's just remember that that's the core of the situation, and alcohol just out, just removes our capacity to hide some of that stuff. But the, yet there's a party culture on campuses, and anything goes. And you also have this strange thing, especially on the radical left, which is which is unbelievably paradoxical, where absolutely every form of sexual expression imaginable is 100% permissible. Because sex is fine. Yeah, no, I don't think that's an accurate reflection of uh, the way it is in the sex positive community. Uh, I appreciate Jordan might be being exposed to some weird, interesting slithers of information. Um, but like speaking for the community I'm a part of, it is a long way from anything goes. Uh, for a start, you've got two people. Imagine a Venn diagram. The only stuff that's actually of interest to those two people is the stuff that they share together. So straight away, that wipes out a hell of a lot of stuff. Uh, and there's also an overarching sense of right or wrong. Like, I don't know if it's coming up in this conversation. It wouldn't surprise me if it did, if Jordan's about to roll out something to do with pedophilia or something or associating what we do with that, those values. Um, and it is not the case. There is a sense of right or wrong within the sex positive community. And I would say anyone that's creating any kind of a sense that uh, everything should go or that someone should be into a particular thing or up for a particular thing, um, that person's doing it really badly. Uh, that's not the way it should be playing out. Uh, so yeah, it's a long way from anything goes. Uh, I mean, I guess I need to take the, the, the pro side of this as well, which is to say, yeah, you're right. Um, it's... Uh, an extraordinary space to explore a bewildering array of sexual activities, but that's different from right or wrong, and it's different from uh, stepping outside of uh, consent. But it's so dangerous that while you're dancing with someone at a Princeton mixer, you have to ask them two or three times if it's okay for you to continue. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God, yes. That is exactly how it should play out. I mean, if... Dancing with someone at a Princeton mixer or whatever it was, if that's our euphemism for having sex, then I just got to say, yes, 
Yes, yes. Oh my God. Checking within with someone, uh, God, not just uh, three times throughout a night or throughout a play session or whatever we're calling it, um, should be constant. Absolutely. Um, the entire thing should be a process of constantly checking in to make sure that uh, your own feedback is still positive and that the person you're playing with still has positive feedback. Um, so yeah, ongoing, constantly, all the time. Absolutely, that's what it should be like. And, and that's, that's actually the case, by the way. I'm not making that up. It's like, well, both of those things can't be true. Yeah, no, they really can both be true. Uh, you can explore, like within certain ethical parameters, you can explore basically whatever you want with someone and communication is the key. Uh, if it's something adventurous, talking about it um, potentially at considerable length beforehand, oh my God, yes. Like if you want to turn good sex into great sex, then talk about it. Uh, talk about it first, talk about it during, um, or at least be checking in. So yes, you can explore um, more or less anything, I guess, just you know, with, with the caveat of what I said previously about that. Um, and the key is, yeah, constant check-ins and using your communication skills. Um, those things sit together beautifully. Uh, it's also true for regular sex, by the way. Um, yeah. Now, what's happening, I think, on the Me Too end of things and the affirmative consent end of things is the old sexual taboos are reasserting themselves. Mm -hmm. The idea that we can extract sex out from emotional intimacy and especially emotional intimacy, I would say, psychological intimacy, maybe even from long-term relationship, is I don't believe it's a tenable idea. I don't think we can do it. So I wonder if a little bit of this comes down to a question of Jordan's, not so much worldview. Uh, I, I hear from what Jordan is saying that for him, uh, it's difficult to the point of impossible to imagine sex without intimacy and relationship. I want to unpack that a little bit. I wonder if that's, to a degree, just his worldview, because I know that um, Jordan is not alone with that, and there's a lot of people in the sex-positive community who are in the same boat. Uh, for them, there needs to be an amount of intimacy and relationship for there to be sex. That's actually a really common position. Um, it's very hard for people who exist that way in the world to imagine that it could be possible to do that differently. Uh, and like I know for myself, before I'd sort of moved into the sex positive community and started playing at this edge a little bit. Um, that used to be true for me as well. So I don't know to what degree that's just a result of what you're socialized with and how we grow up and, and what models are introduced to us. Obviously there's a whole biological method there in the background, which is encouraging, encouraging us to fall in love with the person we have sex with uh, for, you know, like the bringing up of the kids and the security of blah, 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 blah. Um, but I would say that to varying degrees, it is possible. Or I would say that 
I think a lot of people would say that uh, intimacy and some sense of relationship is there, even if it's just a relatively fleeting thing in the moment. So if you're having a one night stand, it's uh, possible to be in total relationship and appreciation, affection, intimacy, maybe love even um, with the person you're with uh, and then never contact them again. Uh, you can go further down that scale and in the same way it's possible to receive say a massage from a massage therapist that you have absolutely no connection or relationship with but that can still feel pleasing perhaps even arousing and you know like watch for the consent of the situation that you're in there but i imagine uh, the massage therapists amongst us um, are probably nodding and going yeah Sometimes people get a little aroused on the table and, you know, they're probably a little embarrassed about that. Um, my point is, uh, yes, you can enjoy and receive um, physical intimacy with someone that you're not necessarily emotionally intimate with. Also, I think perhaps in the background of this, and I'm, I'm deducing this a little bit more from context and other commentary I've seen about Jordan and other things I've heard Jordan say, uh, I think Jordan has a very sexualized understanding of non-monogamy or polyamory. Uh, I think he sees it as uh, purely casual sex um, without ongoing relationship and connection um that's definitely not my experience of polyamory in particular i'd say that what I, i'd maybe uh talk about what jordan's talking about as casual sex perhaps or maybe it's more of a swinging model or maybe it's just like whatever but polyamory is more the openness to love with more than one person and romantic love i guess with more than one person uh so what jordan's missing is that that model of sexuality does include exactly what he's talking about long-term long-term relationship long-term commitments um again drawing from my own experience there if i look back um i mean my my relationship circumstances have changed a little uh in recent times but if i look at uh where i've been for the last you know i don't know eight years um one of my partners um had a um four-year experience with cancer and cancer treatments um, and we were in lockstep through that entire process um, in a in a very heavy patient and carer capacity um, that my friend Jordan is not just casual sex clearly um, another of my partners is totally um, better down pardon the pun uh, doing uh, something that looks a little bit more like a nuclear family kind of model, i.e., um, let's say, mum and dad and uh, two kids. Um, uh, but I am also uh, the partner of one of those people. Um, and I, yeah, models can be so much more complicated. Uh, they are not anti-family. Uh, they are not anti-care. It's not just about casual heathenistic sex. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Hey there, listener. I'd like to make you a little proposal. I love making this podcast for free because it helps me spread the word about sex positivity. 
but I could use your help in spreading the word just by sharing this episode if that's not too absurd. For every 10 stories that you listen to, please recommend it to someone that might like it too. (laughs) This is not a real contract, for you got no say. I would if I could frame it some other way. And if sharing's not for you, that's fine. There's nothing to do. Please listen without guilt to this podcast I built. And a lot of what we're seeing is the backlash against that. It's like, well, I feel used. You know, because one of the things that's happening on the really radical end of the uh, anti-sexual abuse movement is the idea that, well, if you have intercourse with someone and then you regret it the next day, that's evidence that it wasn't consensual. Well... Oh, this is really tricky, juicy, interesting territory. Um, Where to start? Um, It's true. Sometimes the far right sounds like the far left. And sometimes those of us in the sex positive uh, community uh, feel like we're getting um, attacked from both sides um, with ideals around puritanical values that are very hard to separate. It's just... I always find it as hilarious in life when the far left starts to sound like the far right. Um, and I think that uh, Jordan's right. This this is one of those moments. Um, I, I too have noticed that irony. Um, I think the question around morning after regrets. Oh my God, I'm 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 back on safe words. I can't believe how much of for, for how much of the for how many of the issues that Jordan is raising here. I can't believe how many of my answers come back to safe words. In that if you are with someone and you are using safe words, so from time to time you are checking in, just making sure, hey, are you green? You're extremely unlikely to find yourself in a situation where you wake up yourself the next day and go, oh, bugger, I regret what I have done or I regret what was done to me. And you're also less likely to be in the role of the person who hears through back channels or that the the person gets in touch directly to say, I regret my time with you. Safe words are the solution to both of those problems. And if you are with someone and you check in with them like, hey, how are we going? Um, Where do you want to go with this? Are you still green to what we're doing here? Um, At that point in time, if someone is deep into a dissociative state or a trauma state or something which is likely to result in regret the following morning, um, you can spot all those signals a mile away. They either, the, the person either won't be able to say the word green back to you, or if they do, it's going to be infused with so many mixed signals um, that it's going to sound your alarm bells. Um, it is a complicated, it is a profoundly complicated situation when you realise you've done something that you regret or are not into. Um, It's so complicated. It doesn't necessarily mean that non-consent has happened. Um, It might mean that something new has been learned. Um, And again, it probably almost certainly means that safe words weren't followed. 
And sometimes it absolutely does mean that. Sometimes we don't realise until the next day that something that's happened uh, was not right. And so definitely my feeling is that ongoing consent is the solution to that problem. But where I massively differ from where Jordan is going with this in that, oh my God, that's not like a written contract and something that intrudes on sex. Um, When you get half good at good consent, that is the thing that is going to make your play, your interactions, your sex, uh, what, what did he, what did Jordan call it? Intercourse. Haven't heard that word for a while, but it's pretty good. Um, ongoing consent is going to make those activities so much better, and it is not an intrusion. It is not something that gets in the way. Um, it's not a box ticking exercise. Um, I think we I think we need to reframe it uh, as a positive. Um, uh, people are like. Shaking a, shaking a finger and just being like, oh, did you do your consent right? And it's a very negative-based model and it's very hard to enrol people uh, in that approach to consent. Uh, I think we need to frame it instead as, hey, this is the thing that's going to get you from whatever level of sex you're having at the moment to wherever you want to be. This is going to make you better as a lover and as a partner. Uh, and it's just, it's just so easy. It saddens me when I hear Jordan talking about it as if it's so complicated and so difficult and so intrusive. Um, I mean, I guess with that said, um, the way some of the conversation has been playing out and and some people on the far left are proposing literal written documents and contracts, I guess I can see why Jordan is complaining about it like it's an intrusive process. Anyway, what's next? It is, in a sense, evidence that it wasn't consensual because it's evidence that you didn't bloody well think it through, right? It was good for last night, but it's not good for today. It's not very wise. The question is, well, what constitutes consent? Safe words. And we need to have a very serious conversation about that. Like, under what circumstances is it acceptable to give consent? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Uh, One of the questions on my consent cards is, as part of negotiations, are we sober? Uh, and I would say, this is where I fork from Jordan a little bit, uh, I would say there's, there's two layers to that question. Uh, one is, do we have the technical skills to do what we're proposing to do? Do we have the hand-eye coordination? Uh, if not, let's dial it back to something a little safer. Uh, and the second part of it is, is this an activity that we would agree to if we were sober? So from most states of inebriation or other reasons why you might not be sober, from most of those states, not all of them, uh, but certainly with alcohol in particular, it is possible to imagine a version of you that's sober. It's one of the ways that alcohol is separate from other drugs uh, is that you can temporarily um, get a more sober take on things. So you can ask yourself, uh, is this an activity? Are you a person that I would want to do this with uh, if I was sober? Uh, Yeah. But we're not mature enough to have that conversation. We want it both ways. We want to be able to do whatever we want, with 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 whoever we want, whenever we want, with no consequences, and we want... There never to be any trouble about consent. It's like, well. 
Yeah, no, I'd say I want to do, uh, it's, it's a two-person process. Uh, I want to do whatever someone else is into whenever we decide we want to do it to whatever extent we discuss that we want to do it. Uh, and in terms of consequences, uh, yeah, look, it's true. I, I want the consents that the, I want the consequences to not include a sense that either of us have moved out of consent, of course. Um, but the consequences are like, um, sometimes things are complicated. Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes you discover edges that you didn't know were there. Sometimes you discover little moments of trigger. And the consequences I want is to have a follow-up conversation and a debrief uh, with the person uh, and learn from that process and become wiser and smarter and probably closer and probably more intimate with the person. Um, yeah, that'd be my take on that. No, that's not going to happen. Yes, it is. It happens all the time. Also, safe words. I don't think that sex works very well outside of committed relationships. Oh, I really want to make a joke here. I'm just like dying to, but there's no there's no respectful way to do it. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make that joke. The joke I was gonna make was something like, "Oh, Jordan, yeah, you'd love it. I will put together a threesome for you. Um, we're even gonna like riff on all of these like." gender stereotype things and you are gonna fucking love it you have no idea how good that can be um but if i was to make that joke um that could come across disrespectfully and i don't mean to uh i really don't mean to do the same thing to jordan that i feel jordan is doing to others i.e i don't want to shame him for his sexuality and his position it's perfectly fine uh, i just um uh need to wave a flag to say, Jordan, my friend, you are wrong. Um, sex outside of marriage, I know that's not exactly what you said there. Um, it can be ridiculously, incredibly, amazingly, crazily good in the same way that a good meal can do that for you or a good game of footy. I don't think there's any evidence that it does. Fuck, man, you should see my calendar. Also, safe words. There's a strong proclivity across cultures for, for the enforcement, social enforcement of long-term monogamy. Yeah, there's also really strong evidence based on uh, DNA to suggest that uh, a lot of people that claim to be monogamous are not. And there's also a evolutionary Darwinian perspective that suggests that the cross-pollination of, um, let's just say, DNA, let's be crude about it, is advantageous for the health of the community and the individuals. And there's reasons for that. And I think you deviate from that at your peril. So now, if you, if you want to deviate from that, there's all sorts of reasons to do it. Um, and I can understand why people are interested in an adventure and all of that. Yeah, if I could reframe something here a little bit. I, I think that the, the kernel of truth in what Jordan is saying is that if you get into adventurous situations without having been given the skills and tools and resources to handle those situations well, then yeah, I, I agree. Um, there are some risks to, we're calling it deviation. I think if your only sex education comes from porn or erotic literature, and you don't yet know how to pick what is education from what is entertainment, then yes, I think there are risks associated with that. So to that degree, 
uh, I'll agree with Jordan. But I also want to say um, um, there are risks to going into monogamous sexual situations uh, without that same sex education. Uh, that That is very unlikely to work, or I don't know about very unlikely, but I reckon that the two options are about as likely and unlikely as each other to uh, to work out well. My point is, uh, either way, uh, sex education, real, proper, genuine sex education, just about your bodies and pleasure and intimacy um, is an extremely valuable thing. You know, not sex education saying uh, the usual historical torrid messages that sex education is included. Also, safe words. But you know, my sense also as a clinician is, you know, you only really get to try out about five people in your <coughs> life. <laughs> you have to make a decision pretty damn quick. You know, like between 20 and 30, there's a lot of things to get straight and long-term mate is usually one of them. And most of the time, people should be more careful with their sexual behavior when they're young, especially when they're drunk, than they are. All right, so with my last little bit of laughter there, I just want to qualify that. Um, I was laughing at myself um, and my community uh, and the little bubble we, world in, we live in and uh, just how different it is to um, Jordan's reality, neither is right or wrong. Uh, I particularly want to qualify my laughter in terms of um, from an asexuality perspective or just the recognition that um, being able to laugh at the concept of only having, quote, only having five partners, um, I, I recognise that that's a really um, privileged position. Um, some people through choice or not through choice um, have less than five or zero partners. Um, yeah, I just want to clarify, I'm just laughing at myself and the difference in worlds um, uh, between myself and Jordan. But um, moving on from that, picking up on what he's saying, which is around... Um, the idea that you want to use your early 20s to be finding your long-term partner. Um, I feel like things are a little more complicated than that. Like, I get it. I get that there are some really strong indicators to say that having a stable life partner can uh, be very good for your mental health, your physical health, your financial health, a whole bunch of indicators. But it can also be horrible. You might wind up with someone that makes all of those things much harder to achieve and your sense of worth and happiness uh, makes all of those things harder to achieve. And one of the funny odd things about this is that this is like obviously very much into my opinion only is that if you rush into that decision and you don't have the life experience of a few partners, then you are less skilled, you are less resourced to make those decisions. We don't get born into this world just magically having relationship skills and sexuality skills and intimacy skills and the ability to resolve arguments and the capacity to go, oh Lord, I fucked up. I'm so sorry. What can I do to repair this situation? And all of the other skills that you need for relationships, asking for what you want. 
Uh, Jordan seems to be proposing that you shouldn't waste your time shopping around my language, not his. You should be using that time to find your life partner. And I just got to say that that doesn't, I don't think that applies to any other arena. Like if I wanted to be a carpenter, I can't imagine anyone saying to me, right, well, make sure you don't try a whole bunch of projects and get a whole bunch of other skills uh, under, under your belt first. Just like jump in, align yourself with a brand of power tool and um, start making houses um, despite having never done anything like it beforehand. It just seems like unlikely advice. I don't think there's any magic formulas here. I'm not gonna come in and say anything like, I think people should play around in their 20s, start testing the water in their 30s, and then get into serious relationship when they're 40s. I've got no opinions on that. In the same way, I don't have opinions on monogamy versus non-monogamy. Different models are right for different people and sometimes at, at different times uh, within one's own life. Um, yeah, the other thing I would say, I think, is that um, I think it's possible the world has changed a little bit. And I don't know that settling down with a life partner and that being the model in nuclear family, I don't know that that's as powerfully compelling or relevant as perhaps it used to be. Um, we are living a lot longer and we have very different expectations on relationship these days. Um, as it was taught to me once, um, we've only actually been in the sort of the nuclear family model um, for about the last, you know, I don't know, whatever, small number of hundreds of years. And then we've only actually had the value that our relationship should be good and positive and meaningful. That's actually extremely recent in time and history. If you look back across time and across cultures, relationships and family units have often been related to, if not outright survival, then at least they've been more of a sort of a business-like transaction. There's been more of a sense of, we will help each other to stay alive. Uh, so again, with my reference point more being the modernized West, relationships have got very different, we, we go into relationships with very different values and intentions. And um, I'm not sure Jordan's factoring that in to his um, thesis there. And I think it, I just think it's so interesting that all of the taboo reconstruction is coming from the radical left. It's not what you'd expect at all. You'd think it'd be the damn right-wing Christians complaining about, you know, sexual immorality. It's like, no, it's the radical lefties. What's that song? Push back from the left, push back from the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. That oh, doesn't sound quite right. Safe words. You know, you, you have to have signed consent before making any physical move. And then that's so what? Really? Who thought that up? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You know how awkward that would be? You know, you're supposed to be able to do a little bit of nonverbal reading, right? I mean, that's part of romance. You don't see it. You ever see a movie where the two people who are dating exchange consent notes? Like that doesn't happen. So it's an unrealistic solution. Yeah, I, I feel like I, uh, I live in a movie where people exchange consent before doing stuff, but not in the way that Jordan's talking about that has been proposed uh, by some quarters. If you're not up with this debate, there's, um, there's 
there is a a move or a push to say that you should never have sex with someone unless you've got signed consent with them to do that. Uh, that's what he's referring to and reacting to. Um, I gotta say, I think there's a lot of confusion around this issue, around how to actually do consent in practice. And I don't think I don't think we are there by which I mean, you know, like me and the people around me and those in the sex positive community and those who see consent as a positive um, as well as a way to get away from the negative. I don't think we're actually quite there yet. And and I, I admit that sometimes the careful consent community feels like it's um, maybe like lacking in ease and intimacy and, and affection. Um, I don't think that lasts forever, but um, I, yeah, I guess what I want to do here is I want to speak to just a couple of ideas on, on how I think consent actually plays out in practice. Somewhere between these two polarities of never talking about it, which I know is not what Jordan's proposing, and I actually like what he just, a couple of things about what he just said there, by the way, around, you know, there's, a, I think he used the word romance. Um, you should be able to read each other's body language a little bit. I like totally agree. Jordan and I, same page, same page. Um, somewhere between the two extremes, though, of um, never talk about it through to get a signed contract, uh, neither of those are workable. So the solution is not kind of in the middle of those two somewhere. It's it's a little bit outside of that simple binary. Um, it is not hard. Hmm, let me qualify this. I was about to say it is not hard to check for consent before making a physical move on someone. The only qualification I want to make for that is that as we are all collectively moving through this process and working out how to do this stuff better, even if you do a good job of framing a question to someone, it doesn't always go down well. Like like my, my idea of checking for consent might be to say to someone, like say I have the urge to, I don't know, let's just imagine a scenario, kiss someone on the cheek. My way of doing that might be to first, if I was being like super conservative and I was like really unsure of reading body language and flirts and stuff, I might check first with a layer of, um, hey, would it be okay if I made you an offer, like an offer of a physical kind? Um, and then um, that'd be the super, super, super conservative version. And the next question after that, it'd just be like, can I give you a like peck on the cheek? Just a kind of a slow peck on your cheek or something like that. Um, but circumstances are everything. If I'm with a partner that I know and trust uh, very well and who knows my feedback and, and, and I know theirs, then I'm not going to need to check for much feedback there or rather feedback is just, you know, I look at their cheek and I raise my eyebrow. Um, and the way they look back is consent, or I move in so slowly that the other person has got enough time to work out where they're at with things and lean in or lean away. Um, at other times, um, if I'm proposing or someone's proposing to do an adventurous or new form of play, um, particularly one that involves safety risks, either like emotional risks, because you're moving into some territory that's um, you know, emotionally risky, or physical risks, you're doing an activity which could be dangerous if you don't talk about it. 
um, then yeah, absolutely. I'm a fan of talking about stuff at extraordinary length first. And that's why I developed the consent cards. Uh, I'll put the link, blah, blah. I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you my consent cards at the moment, but I'll stick a link to them in the show notes. Um, the idea there is, yes, they, that gives you the questions to ask to make an activity as perfect as it can be and as safe as it can be. And I don't think that that needs to be gone through every time you do every activity. Um, my kind of loose guidance for others and for myself is um, when you're doing a new activity with a new partner, uh, then um, yeah, absolutely. At least um, eyeball the consent card questions just to make sure you've thought of everything. Um, that is not an onerous process. That is a joyful process. That is the beginning of foreplay, if you like. Um, there's something about sitting down with someone, or even if you do this via email, and talking in detail about what you're planning on doing, where you realize you are being listened to and taken seriously, and your concerns are being taken into consideration, and you have much more knowledge about why the other person is interested in something and why you are interested. Um, that is not an intrusive process. That's a welcome process. That's just about to make your life better. Uh, that's the bit that I think that gets missed by the anti-communication camp or the, I mean, like, yeah, Jordan's not anti-consent. I'm not accusing him of that. Um, yeah, but I think I think the ease and fluidity with which the consent process can fit in is is missed. But but I think the real solution is that despite the fact that we have reliable birth control, we're going to have to relearn what the acceptable rules of propriety are with regards to sexual relationships. One of the things I often tell my young clients is don't do anything physically with anyone that you wouldn't talk to them about. I love this. This is brilliant. Once again, Jordan and me, same, same. Yeah. Because if you're too damn embarrassed to talk about it, well, maybe it's a little premature in the relationship to actually do it. And then there's harm in it. You know, there's emotional harm in it for, on both parties. There's the cheapening of both parties. So... Yeah, potentially it's a cheapening. Uh, potentially it's also a breakthrough. Like, um, badly is not the only way that that can go. But yeah, I don't want to... Yeah, I really agree with, uh, with Jordan there. Yeah, uh, talk about it. Well, so it's going to take us a long time to sort this out. But hopefully we can do it in a serious manner and, and it won't be merely a matter of mobbing those who seem to have made an error. Yeah, really agree. Uh, mobbing people that seem to have made an error is not a useful way to go. Also really agree that it's going to be a while before we sort this out. Uh, complicated issue. Thank you, Jordan, for the opportunity to air a few thoughts there. Also, just wanted to shout out to you. If you are same-sex attracted, um, then yeah, I just wanted to say g'day and acknowledge you exist because uh, so far this episode there hasn't been any acknowledgement of your existence except as a sort of implied negative thing. So yeah, g'day. Hope you're doing okay. Okay, so by way of finishing up, uh, I've just got kind of one more thing I want to disagree with and then a couple of things I actually want to agree with. Uh, first, the uh, disagreements. 
I was hoping this quote would actually appear in this recording. Uh, it doesn't. So um, I've heard from somewhere else, I don't recall where uh, Jordan was talking about that in polyamory, a small number of guys get a lot of action and attention and everyone else kind of misses out. Um, I just wanted to speak to that a little bit. Um, I think it shows that Jordan is mistaking sort of casual sex or swinging for polyamory. And God knows there's no, well, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but it's good to understand uh, which ones you're talking about. So I think in the casual sex scene and maybe in swinging, uh, and maybe in a more of a sort of a sex party environment. Uh, I think it's true. Um, I mean, the gender element of this is is complicated. Let's not deep dive into it too much. Suffice to say, like, there is in most of those spaces very much a patterning. And people who are more stereotypically attractive, uh, absolutely, uh, wind up with as much attention as they can, as they have time for. Uh, and that's not always the case for other people in those spaces. However, this is only in the context of sex. When you move into actual multiple relationships with people where there is love and ongoing commitment, you very quickly realise that there is only so much time in the week and you cannot hold down um, uh, many relationships. Uh, so unless you're thinking of a model which is almost like more of a polygamous model where it's 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 just sex and you don't have a relationship or engagement with people um uh yeah well i guess my point is just that 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 just doesn't work that just doesn't work um over the course of time if you're having sex with someone on a recurrent basis you wind up having some kind of relationship with them or you wind up deciding you don't want to have some kind of relationship with them um and yeah either way you can only hold down so many relationships like you know you've got um, two or three people in your life on an ongoing basis and you're close to polysaturation um yeah, I think there's a nuance there that um, Jordan has missed and generally a, a misunderstanding and a lack of credit given to um, how, um, how I was going to say proper, um, how proper uh, poly relationships are. So that's it for my disagreements, I think. In terms of what I potentially agree with, uh, like first as a bit of a meta comment, um, I think it's really important not to write someone off, even if I am in furious disagreement with them. Um, I think to do so is to polarise the debate even further and come apart as a group of people and get even closer to some kind of war or, you know, warlike behaviour. So like the moment, uh, the moment I say that person is bad and everything they say is bad, uh, I think I'm in really dangerous territory and I'm no longer contributing to the resolution or the, the deepening of a debate. Um, and I'm more like contributing to the battle rather than the peace. So, yeah, with that in mind, um, one thing I will say for Jordan is I think maybe within his worldview, uh, he seeks good outcomes for everyone. 
for all genders. Actually, that's not true. I actually don't think that minority land, uh, minority gen genders exist on his landscape in any real way. Um, but just on the simple binary that he exists within of, you know, men and women, um, I think he's in support of everyone. Uh, I, I He tends to call it, I've heard him refer to it as a quality of opportunity. Um, and, you know, there's some wisdom in that. Um, but most importantly to me, he sounds really congruent in that. Um, yeah, and it's actually... Um, I don't necessarily find it all that common to find thought leaders who congruently support um, multiple parties. Uh, we tend to be a very polarised community um, and we t tend to weigh in just on one camp or another. So I like that about Jordan. Um, also, He's said a lot. I mean, I guess he's he's risen to fame and attention so much because he has said a lot about um, I don't know men and boys or what's happening in the male camp. Um, I when he talks about when he talks about what's happening in the male camp, and by which I mean what happens to men, why men are oftentimes the perpetrators of violence. Um, and why there are so many uh, broader behavioural problems there. I think that not only has he nailed a lot of the ideas on what's led to that situation, he's also, uh, a lot of what he has to say about where the solutions need to be. I mean, I don't agree with a bunch of the details, but by and large, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I also, when he's talking about those topics, I can see that he's only interested in solutions that are, are better for everyone. And yet again, maybe that's through the simple binary of men and women. Um, but yeah, I can see that wanting good outcomes for all is embedded in his thinking there. Uh, yeah, and I guess, um, I guess lastly, if you want an example of that, um, uh, there's a... Um, there's a conversation between him and Warren Farrell about school shootings, and it's quite an incredible deep dive into why they happen, like like why, you know, let's face it, that's 99% men with the guns in their hands. Um, it's quite a deep dive into what leads to that point, what, what's happening there, and what needs to happen in order for that to change. Um, I haven't double-checked this, but it looks like on... Um, Jordan Peterson's podcast feed. That looks like that's episode 261 by the looks of things. So, yeah, thanks for listening, folks. That's been my reaction. I'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. I've created a forum so you can tell me and also chat with other listeners about it. It's at forum.curiouscreatures.biz and there's a link for that in the show notes. Once you've signed up to the forum, which is free and takes less than a minute, navigate to groups and then join the group for curious conversations about sex. And if you liked today's episode, please share it with someone else that might be interested. There's probably a share button right there in your podcast player. Curious Creatures run a variety of workshops, mostly in Melbourne, Australia. We've also got some pre-recorded workshops that you can watch anytime. 
anywhere. Our workshops are on sexuality, self-development and relationships. You might also want to check out our consent cards. They're a small plastic card with all of the questions you need to ask to give yourself the best chance of getting exactly what you want to the level you want it. There's a version specifically for kink activities and a more general version for everything else. Links to our consent cards are in the show notes. See you soon, friends.